What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 145, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Grace. 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 The name of the cloud. Or the figment of the imagination. I don't know. So, uh, Zach, speaking of cloudy and figments of imagination, um, this is the very special Brent had COVID edition of our podcast. Well, congratulations, Brent. Thank you very much. So after two years, finally, the stupid little bug got to me. Now, good news, friends. Vaccines, boosters are awesome. I was definitely sick, but I wasn't like completely out of it. And uh, well enough, feeling well enough to do a a show this morning. But uh, if I sound a little stuffy, um, that's because I am. And uh, you're not going to hear the coughing and hacking that I'll be doing. But, uh, you know. Sorry, I will. Yeah, that's right. So uh, anyway, <laughs> hey, speaking, here comes one right now. Yeah, but you didn't hear that. Um. Anyway, uh, if you, hey, this is an independent podcast where we get to talk about our own uh, personal health stories while talking about Stargate. If you'd like to support that, you can. <laughs> we've, we've got a Patreon, patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. Uh, tiers and privileges. Uh, Zach will tell us a bit about that in a second. Uh, but one of the things that you get access to is uh, all of our Patreon first content like Stargate Second Chances, where Zach and I rewatch certain episodes based off of your votes and give it new rankings and new thoughts. The Other Side of the Gate, which we just dropped episode eight of on Patreon uh, earlier this week. Zach and good friend of the show, David, talk about thematic stuff and spoilery stuff, uh, basically things that I'm not allowed to listen to. So uh, you can you can listen to that. And then uh, every month now, Zach and I have been watching the non-canonical Stargate Infinity, the uh, animated series that came out in the early 2000s, which is a a hoot. It's a hoot. And uh, so we've been watching an episode of that. Stargate Infinity, we lost a bet. Um, It's it's I think it's fun. Uh, And so you can you can listen to that as well. And if you are not inclined to support us on Patreon because of choice or circumstance and both are valid, that is totally fine. You will always be able to hear all of our stuff on the main feed at some point uh, because that's how we roll. So um, let's see here. Uh, Oh, yeah. And if uh, a person in your life needs to hear my nasaled tones uh, in their ear holes talking about Stargate, you can tell them that they can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Google Spot Google Spotify's hmm. Google Spotify. That's not a thing. That's, it's That's not a thing at all. Google Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts, but of course, my personal favorite and the right choice um, podcast aggregators. Uh, so, Zach, yes, Brent. If a person wants to uh, let us know uh, that uh, that maybe maybe I should just always have a bit of a clouded, muddled brain because I can get through the intro in about two minutes um if i don't have try if i'm not trying to come up with clever things to say you know they could probably like find a way to tell us that but how how might they how might they tell us that so if you are just absolutely in love with brent's dulcet nasally covidy mm. tones yeah <laughs> you can let us know by twittering us at stargate walking 
Or you can email oh. us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com or on Facebook. Don't don't say that on Facebook. Well, you can. You can. Just Brent won't probably hear it very much. No. Or you can no. go to their website, wtts.space, or you can go to the Discord, or the Patreon. All of that stuff. You, there, there's all sorts of fun things. Um, and join the conversation, because that's that's what this is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I got stuff. nothing. So, you know, Brent wow, has gonna the have, excuse this is gonna be a great of, one. <laughs> of, of, of having COVID. I, I, I don't have an excuse. I'm just... just. You're matching my energy. That's you, what you're doing. Uh, I, I do tend to do that with a lot of people. Uh, if they're excited, yeah. I get excited. If they're dull and, and morose, you know, then I... You know, the, the, let's look down... Look down the path a little bit of all the episodes to uh, to to be a little com- contemplative on. This is a good one. That's true. That is true. This is a more okay. thoughtful episode in that regard. Uh, yes. The director. Shall we dig into this then, Brent? Sure. Fine. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Shortest <laughs> intro ever. <laughs> no, no, probably not People the shortest are, one. I think our first couple episodes were really, really super short because yeah, but those hardly count. And you know, now we're now we're not into now. Now I'm going to have to place the bookmark somewhere else. And so for people who are, who are like, finally, goodness, get out now. They're like, ah, oh, shut up and do it already. Okay, so we got some background <laughs> facts for this episode. Oh boy, this is this is going to be one of those kinds of episodes, isn't it, Brent? This is going to be one of those episodes. All right. So the director is Peter West. Uh, This is his second of three directing credits this season. He did Birthright. He did this, and he's got one more coming up. The Mm -hmm. teleplay for this episode is by Damian Kindler. This is his third writing credit. He's had a couple story credits along there out of four writing credits. He did Space Race. He did Evolution Part 1. He's got this one. He's got Mm -hmm. one more coming up. We've got a few guest actors to talk about. Uh, Carmen Argenziano is back as Jacob Sel- Jacob Carter slash Selmac, mostly Jacob Carter in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we do say hello again to Ingrid Cavallars, who plays Major Aaron Gant. Uh, we saw mm-hmm. her when we saw the Prometheus in the episode Memento. Uh, we also saw mm-hmm. John Novak playing Colonel William Ronson in Memento way back in season six. Uh, so we say hello to those two this time around. Uh, we also have... Craig Veroni, who plays the weapons officer in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about Craig right now because he appears in Atlantis as a completely different character and lives for a while in oh, there. Okay. So I'm going to wait until Atlantis to talk about Craig because that's more important than, than this episode here. Uh, but we do have then Sasha uh, Peters. Uh, Peters. I, I don't know. It's P-I-E-T-E-R-S-E. Uh, she's she plays the uh, uh, the little girl Grace. Uh, here is a mini bio from Mr. William Morris Endeavor, and I have no idea who that is, but it sounds huh. fun. Okay. Sasha was born in Johannesburg, South Africa. She immigrated over to the United States with her professional dancer parents in the year 2000. She started acting at the age of four in modeling and commercials and moved to theatrical work starring as Buffy in her first TV show, Family Affair, uh, which was 2002, alongside Tim Curry and Gary Cole. And she was at the age, she was at the age of six. Uh, mm-hmm. She went on to star in movies such as The Adventures of Shark Boy 
and Lava Girl 3D in 2005, X-Men First Class in 2011, and Good Luck Chuck in 2007, and also starred in shows such as House and Heroes before landing the role as Allison uh, Dilarentis in the TV show Pretty Little Liars in 2010. Mm-hmm. While filming her TV show, she also starred in movies such as GBF and as uh, Japonica Fenway in Paul Thomas Anderson's GBF. Oh, okay. So apparently uh-huh. <laughs> William did not edit this. <laughs> Good job, William. Appeared in GBF and, and in GBF. You know, yeah. Uh, she also starred in movies such as GBF and... Uh, uh, in, alongside uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Martin Short. There we go. Let's, let's, uh, the TV series Pretty Little Liars finished after seven seasons. Mm-hmm. And since then, she continues pursuing her passion for movies and television. Good. Um, so I mentioned that she did have a guest uh, role in the TV series House. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was submitted for an Emmy consideration. I don't think she got, quite got the nomination. Uh, oh, but she was considered had an Emmy consideration for that role. That's nice. That's um, my understanding, if I recall correctly, is she was playing uh, a little girl that had some sort of uh, cancer, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and did a really good job of portraying that. Uh, she was offered the role of Jean Grey in X Men Apocalypse in 2006, but she turned it down, and that role was eventually played by Sophie Turner. Hmm. Uh, as I mentioned before, her first IMDb credit is the TV series Family Affair. It was uh, a one or two season show that had a whopping 16 episodes in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has uh, an IMDb score of about 5.4. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and she played uh, Buffy, who is the six-year-old twin, one of the six-year-old twins, uh, in this show uh, for eight of those 16 episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, the plot of the, 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 the concept is a Manhattan bachelor and his English butler who become sudden parents to, six, uh, to six-year-old twins, Buffy and Jody, and their teenage sister, Sissy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Can I you imagine why that all. didn't go well? <laughs> I guess, right? Yup. Right. All right. So, back to the episode Grace. The original air date for Grace was January 16, 2004 in the U.S., and 10 days earlier on January 6, 2004 in the U.K. Number one in the charts on January 16th in the U.S., we were still rocking out to Hey Ya by Outcast. Yep. And in the U.K., they were about all this time by Michelle. Oh, I have no idea. Okay. All right, it's playing. Okay, I bet you it's slow. Is it? Is it slow song? I bet you it's slow. I bet you it's a love song. It's a love song. Yep. You know, well, all this time Michelle has been singing about this boy, and along came Polly and messed everything up. Ah. And all that Michelle can think about is having a really big fish to eat Polly for messing things up. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I got nothing here. But the, the next episode, oh, the next movie is the Re- Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. And I, I, so here's <laughs> what it is. The king comes and Michelle realizes that Polly can have the other guy because the king is better. Oh, 
Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, and then there's some torque in this because, you know, uh, every relationship has some challenges. Oh. Uh, right? Okay. Right? Yep. And, and, yep. and you need just a little bit of extra torque to get through those challenges. If it doesn't torque. fit, force it. Right? That's force how it, it works. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and um, cheaper by the dozen is five. No, it's 12. That's true. <laughs> oh, decent job. Decent, decent. No, well that done. was I, awful. That yeah. was awful. No, you can, you yeah. can say it. It was bad. It, it, well, I mean, sure. But, you know, sometimes it's so bad it's great. Uh, um, this one, so, I just got distracted. So, you know. Did, did, so did this turn into a Bane factor thing? I don't no. think so. Well, I mean, I guess in some. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, well. I enjoy it. Well, hmm. No. Good job, Zach. No, that was bad. It's okay. You can say it. That was bad. Uh, okay, fine. Fine. I'll, I'll, I'll try again next week, and maybe it'll be better. I mean, I'm... Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, sometimes they fit, and other times they're this, and oh, it just doesn't dear. work. <laughs> I'm... I'm I, I, I'm going to blame COVID mind. I've got my own little joke and it's fine. Whatever. Let's carry on. Let's okay. keep moving. So what was happening uh, on or around this time in uh, the world? On January 14, the national flag of Georgia. Uh, this is the state of Georgia, the, the, the country of Georgia, not the United States state of Georgia. Yeah. All right. The national flag of Georgia, uh, the so-called five cross flag was restored to official use after a hiatus of some 500 years. Huh. I'm going to look that up just for funsies. All right. Five uh, cross flag. And while he is looking that up... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's definitely five crosses. There you go. One, yep. two, three, four, five. One, two, cool. three, four, five. While he's looking that up, a couple of days after this episode aired, on January 18, the AFC and NFC, that's NFL, National Football League, football championship stuff was going on. Uh, in the AFC, the New England Patriots were battling out with the Indianapolis Colts. The Patriots win with a score of 24 to 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the uh, NFC... Uh, the Carolina Panthers were fighting out with the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Panthers beat the Eagles at a score of 14 to 3. Uh-huh. Uh, spoiler alert next week when the Super Bowl happens, the Patriots wallop the Panthers. I mean, this is the, this is the era. This is the start of the era. Uh, where... Well, yeah, th- this, is the, this is that time frame where the only people who can beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl are the Giants. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but that was also ages ago. Anyway, yes. That's yes. true. All right. And Tom Brady is still playing quarterback at a high level today. I know. It, it's <sighs> it's, it's kind of sickening. Yeah. So he, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've ever revealed that I went to the University of Michigan for college, but I went to the University of Michigan for college. And right now, like, there's people out there that just, like, literally threw their devices out a window. Sorry. Um, but Brady was quarterback at Michigan when I was going there. And so for quite a while, I was like, hey, it's our quarterback and he's doing great. Well, it's turning into like, and he clearly is cybernetic. And so I'm I'm less, I mean, there's still a piece of me that's like, wow, 
he's still doing really well. And there's another piece of me that's like, it's been so long. <laughs> well, to put this in perspective, um, he has been playing in the NFL longer than some rookies have yeah. been alive. Yeah. Yes. Right. Rookies yeah. in the end. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, oh, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And, you know, and part of the ridiculousness you know, I mean, some of these positions, right? So, you know, if you're if you're a kicker, you can you can you can last for quite a long time. If you're a linesman, you don't. Um, right. And quarterbacks are kind of towards that other end of yeah. Most, especially pocket passers, they they can they can play for quite a while. It's just that he's still like really good. Well, what's <laughs> like, impressive? I mean, he has there. his bad days, but like yeah. Well, what's impressive is that pocket passers. Um, can continue to play so long as they have a solid arm strength. Uh, yeah, and their whole yeah. body can then do that. Um, and usually by the time you hit your mid-40s, uh, your arm strength uh, wanes. Yeah. And Hello? it hasn't here. Um, no. Uh, oh, do you think he's juicing? Oh, man. Oh, it, oh if that comes out. If that, oh, if man. That, oh. <laughs> oh, that would be bad. Oh, it would be nuclear. Oh, it would be a spectacle. It, it, it would be an absolute spectacle. That 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 would be worse than when the world found out that Lance Armstrong was. Juicing. I think so. I think that yeah, because everyone was kind of impressed that this bicyclist was doing really well, but like people don't care about bike racing in the same way that they care about football around here, right? And if that were oh boy, anyway, okay. All right. Anyway, so so enough about the NFL. Let's talk about Stargate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Back to the back to this is a Stargate podcast act. This is a Stargate podcast. Uh, this episode, Grace, was actually originally titled Crossfire, okay. and then it was changed to Passengers. Okay. And then yeah. they settled in on the uh, the name Grace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I think Crossfire for the name of a little child is a little bit odd, but you know, <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful baby. What's her name? Crossfire. Crossfire. Oh, that is ridiculous. We've got to go with passengers. Oh, that makes more, so much more sense. Anyway, so Samantha is being haunted by a young girl called Grace, and her first appearance is her voice singing the song Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Mm-hmm. This is very similar to a Twilight Zone episode called Nightmare as a Child. Way back in 1960, where mm-hmm. a young woman is haunted by a little girl called Marky, who also sings Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. In the okay. Twilight Zone episode, the child turns out to be a younger version of the young woman, as the child in this Target episode has a very defined appearance. It seems very plausible that Grace may be the younger version of Samantha Carter. It's never defined clearly. The, uh, as I was listening to the commentary right. this morning, right. the director seems to think it's probably a younger version of Carter. Uh, I think uh, Amanda Tapping had a slightly different picture of it. Who cares? It yeah. doesn't matter. Right. This episode's plot is also very similar to the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Night Terrors, uh, in mm-hmm. which the crew is unable to go into deep, deep sleep. They experience hallucinations and are ultimately rescued from their predicament by interpreting odd visions to discover a scientific solution. And also, in there are two, two ships that are trapped in a dangerous spot and they have to work together to, to get out. Yep. 
This episode's plot is also similar to the Star Trek Voyager episode <laughs> one, in which the Voyager is traveling through a nebula and Seven of Nine is alone, all by herself, trying to keep things together. She also experiences hallucinations due to the nebula's effect. Oh dear. This episode is also similar to the Star Trek Enterprise episode Doctor's Orders, in which Flux is the only conscious crew member as everyone else is in an artificial coma because they are inside a nebula that is harmful to the human brain. The nebula also makes Flux hallucinate. You know, it's almost like it's it's almost like a ship in a bottle episode is a trope. Um we'll we'll talk more about that later. Oh, okay. Um, so, according to the DVD commentary for uh, a future episode this season, uh, this episode here received the highest ratings of any television show on the Sci-Fi Channel, including all previous SG-1 episodes. Uh, wow. Really? Uh, uh that, that's what they say. Uh, to be More fair, I, I haven't this listened to the commentary that... for that episode yet, so I don't Ooh. know. More people watched Grace than any previous Stargate episode so far? On the Sci-Fi Channel. So just two seasons. Oh, well, okay, I'm sorry. Never mind. Okay. So this episode won a Leo Award, Best Dramatic, uh, dramatic Series Best Lead Performance by a Female for Amanda Tapping, which makes a lot of sense. Um... Because I thought she was absolutely amazing in this episode. Absolutely. She was. Um, the episode is a follow-up to season six's Memento, in which the Prometheus lost its hyperdrive. Uh, they have to get it back to the ship. The Alkesh, the hyperdrive they pull from this is the same Alkesh that they uh, that O'Neill captured in, and Teal captured in Avenger 2.0. Mm. Right? So they captured this Alkesh there and... Uh, now they had this Alkesh they didn't know what to do with and they didn't want us to keep it around. And so they, you know, uh, butchered it and took the hyperdrive out of that and put it into the Prometheus so the Prometheus can get back home. Makes sense. Yep. Um, in the short story, Pleasure Cruise, uh, so this would be some sort of published fan fiction type of thing. Uh, maybe it's not quite fan fiction, but it is not quite canonical it's you know it's a short game anyway carter encounters the ship from this episode again while commanding the george hammond presumably the george hammond is another uh uh air force ship <laughs> no this is a different type of uh, fanfic there oh ho, ho! Yeah. <laughs> well yeah well uh in this episode it is revealed that the aliens were testing humanity by disabling the ship getting rid of their weapons, and then seeing how they would react. However, their ship really did get caught in the gas cloud while chasing after the Prometheus. Uh, the alien Carter communicates with states that if Carter hadn't found a way to free the ship, the aliens would have beamed her off the ship and taken the crew to a safe planet nearby before quarantining the Earth. Um, sure. Sure. There you go. Um, another little tidbit here. This is an episode that was filmed almost exclusively second unit, Oh, and took about okay. three months to film because they were just piecing it in along the way. Huh. Um, and in fact, I uh, have a quote here from Amanda Tapping that talks a little bit about that. So, but here's a quote from Joseph Malazzi. Uh, Damien Kindler finished his polish of Grace, an episode which promises to reignite the whole Sam Jack shipper debate. Yeah. 
Uh, the offices are receiving mail on the issue on a daily basis now. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I got things to say about that. Yeah, we can talk more about that. Here is a quote from Amanda Tapping. Um, this is actually, I th- think, uh, yeah, this is uh, like a, a quote from, from a kind of convention experience that she was at, right? Grace was such an intense experience. We shot a lot of it second unit. In fact, I think we shot most of the show second unit. So it took us over a month to complete it. But it was just, as an actor, it was just a real challenge. Just because you spend so much time alone, so much time inside your head, how to play the head injury without making it over the top. You know what I mean? Uh, And it was just an emotional struggle. And I think because we saw it, shot its second unit it was jumping back into that and jumping out of that and jumping back into it it was a challenge but it was fun here's another question did we ever find out who grace actually was or is that left open to the fans interpretation uh she says it's left open for interpretation uh it's left open for my own interpretation too i mean grace could be sam's child within grace could be sam's hopes and dreams for having a child Grace could be the child Sam left behind when she, you know, focused all her energy on, you know, becoming astrophysicist woman and forgot how to be a kid, forgot how to enjoy life. So she's a bunch of different things. In my mind, I I chose to make her Sam's potential future. Is she giving up family, uh, which is what Grace deals with, uh, that Sam struggles with? Is she giving up any chance for a family or a, quote, normal life because she focuses all her energy on the SGC and what she's missing out on in life? And if she were to have more of a life, could she bring more to her work? I had uh, sat down with Rob Cooper at the beginning of the season and said, I think we need to do a show where Sam struggles with her demons and where she questions her life choices and questions what she's missing. You know, as a woman and as a contributing member of society, has she focused too much energy on her work? Uh, You know, when she lays on her head, lays her head on her pillow at night, uh, what does she think about? And Rob said, well, interestingly enough, there is a show coming up that will deal with that. Oh, okay, says Amanda Tapping. All this was an interview with Gate World. There you have it. There you go. Yeah, uh, during the commentary, the uh, director, Peter West, thought that uh, it took probably closer to three months to film everything uh, because it was just like, you know, half a day here, half a day there, pull everybody together for this shot here, do that over there, that type of thing. That's bananas. It is. Uh, This episode, uh, the episode title in other languages The Italians, the Spanish, the Czech, the Germans, the Hungarians, they all call this episode Grace, which is just dubbed in English, so they say Grace with their own appropriate accent. Grace. Uh, The French call it The Inside Journey. Ooh. Le Voyage Interieur. I I just butchered that because my French is terrible. But there you go. The Voyage Inside. I I mean, I, I don't speak French. I... So I, I, I kind of postulate. I wonder if that's really more like the Voyage Within. Um, probably not. I, I think it actually probably fits with the implication. There is that she is going on a journey inside her own head. Um, but anyway, doesn't matter. Yeah. 
Yep. It's well, it does matter. It matters to the French. It just thanks I, to a magical cloud. Yep. All right. Are you ready for the synopsis, Brent? Yes. Let's All right. Get into this. Previously on Stargate SG-1. On the maiden voyage of the Prometheus, the Nequadria Reactor Corps overlords in orbit on the planet in orbit of the planet Tegria. Actually, not quite, but just close enough. But anyway, it doesn't matter. And the ship is stranded. Oh, dear. And now the conclusion. The Prometheus is traveling back to Earth. Major Carter is the only member of SG-1 on this voyage of the first Earth ship. The travel back to Earth, though, is going to take some time. They are using a hyperspace engine from an Alkesh, and this engine is not designed for this size of ship. This ship is way too big for this little tiny engine, and the ship taxes the engine way too much, but it still works. The end result is, though, they have to stop on a regular basis so that uh, the hyperspace engine can cool down or it will also overheat and blow up and cease working and strand the new crew, the crew of the Prometheus, somewhere else, which is just as bad as being stuck on Tegria. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, while having Carter on board for such a reason as this makes a lot of sense because she's smart and all of that stuff, this isn't her primary reason for being on the Prometheus at this time. One of their scheduled stops will be very close to some weird nebula that she wants to take a really good look at firsthand. What is it about this nebula? Well, actually, we don't really know, but it looks cool, so let's go look at it. Okay. Unfortunately for everyone involved, while they are stopped, kind of almost not quite looking at this nebula, an unidentified ship, a bogey, if you will, appears on their scanners. This ship approaches and decides to shake hands with their laser beams. The Prometheus is no match for this much more advanced and quite bigger ship. They turn and run. And by run, they mean they, they use their engines and they fly because they don't have legs. But they're moving. Their only hope for safety is entering that weird nebula. Can they make it in time? No. But they can use their hyperspace engine to make a little tiny jump there because, you know, it's too hot right now, but a little jump probably is going to be okay. So all you have to do is get Major Carter to make some adjustments and turn off the, the safety valves and all of that stuff, and then you can punch the button and get there safely. Okay, Ronson, the colonel, says, let's go do this. She goes and she does this. The ship is getting hit. Oh, no, one of the jolts throws the Major into the wall. Her head smashes against the wall. She is concussed and knocked out. When she comes to, she is all alone on the ship. The concussion makes it very difficult for her to think straight. This does not look good for our hero. She has but one task. Save the Prometheus. But this is no easy task, for there is something in the nebula that prevents the sublight engines from working properly, and the something in the nebula keeps the hyperdrive from creating a solid window through which to travel. She is stuck. Oh, dear. Things get stranger, however, when she begins to see a little girl singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star as she prances the halls of the ship. As Carter checks the status of the ship, she discovers that all the escape pods are gone, and theorizes that an evacuation order was given after she lost consciousness. Obviously, uh, that prevented her from getting to one of the safety ships. But, 
After an inventory of the supplies, she determines that she's got a couple of months of food uh, that could be stretched out with rationing. I would just like to point out that if this is supposed to be any type of long-term space war vessel and has a crew of, say, 30? I don't know. That doesn't seem very big, but let's just call it 30? Two months of rations for one person is not very long for Mm-mm. a crew of 30. Mm-mm. But, you know, she could stretch it out, maybe. Uh, uh, sure, she can, but but can they? I mean... They were going to have to really stretch it out. I mean, let, let's just... Anyway, let's not think <laughs> too hard. Hopefully the SGC will come looking for her and the Prometheus. Unfortunately, the concussion is worse than you might think. Not only does it make it hard for her to concentrate and process things in her brain, she has to contend with different aspects of her own thought processes in the form of various hallucinations, all trying to get her to do one thing or another. The hallucination of Teal'c warns her that falling asleep will mean her death. She must not fall asleep! Don't sleep. Don't do it. Well, this doesn't help matters. She's so tired. The hallucination of Daniel, frankly, confesses that he is unreal, but he is present because there is something she has overlooked. Rather than focusing on trying to fix the engines and save yourself, you should spend some time studying the nebula. That is, after all, why you came on this journey in the first place. Trust me, Sam, don't overlook the nebula. Kilk's hallucination returns and warns her that this whole scenario could be the result of the hostile alien species mind-probing her. Anything she does to fix the ship will inadvertently reveal classified information about the Prometheus to her enemy. She should instead simply do nothing and don't sleep. There's also this little girl who seems to creep the Major out as she appears all over the ship and wandering through the halls to and fro, singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Back at the SGC, both O'Neill and Jackson are concerned because the Prometheus is 18 hours past check-in. Jackson is organizing a search of the planets near the route Prometheus was supposed to take. O'Neill is feeling far more despairing than all of that. Uh, If the Prometheus, after all, had made it to one of those planets with the Stargate, they would have already gated home, and so there would be no need to go to those planets. But Jackson wants to do something, so we'd better do something than nothing, I guess. Back on the ship, Carter discovers that some of the gases in the nebula are corrosive and are eating through the hull of the ship. If nothing is done, these gases will breach the inner hull in eight hours. She must find a solution soon or die. But that nasty concussion makes things so hard to do. She attempts to vent the atmosphere from certain areas of the ship in order to get enough thrust to move the ship through the nebula, nebula and out. But as she's trying this, she sees the little girl screaming in a corridor, trying not to get blown out into space. Startled, Carter ends the experiment by closing the outer doors. Daniel reappears and tells her that the nebula may be a living being, which is why she and the alien ship are stuck inside. He suggests that maybe the little girl is a manifestation of the nebula and that Sam should go and talk to her, explaining her own peaceful intentions. Now, this doesn't make much sense to Sam. She is disoriented and then passes out briefly 
hopefully briefly, we don't know, in a corridor. When she comes to, Grace is there and they begin to talk. Grace tells her to eat and keep her strength up. Grace then disappears and hallucinations of Sam's father and then O'Neill appear. The hallucination of Jacob forces Sam to examine her life. Is she happy? She deserves a relationship, a family, a partner with whom she can share her life with. Uh, is she ever going to get that? Did she give up too much for her career? All of that stuff. The hallucination of Jack confronts the major about her own feelings for him. As long as she's set on a relationship with him, something that will never be able to happen because of rules and regulations, she cuts herself off from other options and keeps herself, herself safe from relationship dangers. Mm -hmm. She considers resigning from the Air Force. Will that work? Jack tells her he's a simple guy. He's not really the problem. He tells her that he will always be there for her no matter what and that it's now time for her to get up and go save herself. The real O'Neill and the other Stargate personnel have searched seven planets with no luck. The Tok'ra have also been searching the route the Prometheus was supposed to be taking with no results. In the locker room, Teal'c and O'Neill talk briefly. Teal'c informs his friend that when O'Neill was missing with Mayborn way back, you know, a season ago, Carter was similarly concerned about his safety and whether she'll ever see him again. So, you know, Jack, your feelings are real and it's okay to feel them about this person. After another encounter with Grace, who is playing with bubbles this time, Carter hits on a solution. She will use the hyperspace engines with minimal power to create a hyperspace bubble of technobabble, technobabble, technobabble around the ship that hopefully will take the ship out of technobabble, 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 so that the sublight technobabble engines, blah, 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 will work. Grace wants to know all the details so that Sam can tell us exactly what she's going to do to solve the problem and save herself. And Grace says, hey, that sounds a good idea. You should do that. Hey, look at that. It worked. Carter flies over to the other ship and negotiates for her missing crew. Return everyone unharmed and I'll help you out of this nebula. Colonel Ronson and the crew are returned to the Prometheus. Carter wraps her hyperspace bubble around the other ship and tows them out of the nebula. Once out of the nebula, the hostile alien ship decides not to blow the Prometheus up and leaves. The day is saved. Hooray! Carter looks to Ronson and relieves herself of duty. She practically passes out, and crew members escort her to the infirmary. Back at the SGC, Sam wakes up in the SGC infirmary. Jack is there watching over her. They talk a bit. Jack is happy. She'll be okay, but keeps all that emotional stuff on the inside. Sam is happy to see Jack, but she also keeps all her feelings on the inside. Apparently, Daniel and Teal are planning a little gathering of folks, a uh, shindig, if you will, uh, once she feels up to it, and apparently there's talk of cake. Jack departs so that Sam can rest. Closing her eyes, she begins to hear Grace sing as she falls asleep. The end. The end. So, my dear friend, Brent. Yeah. Grace. Mm -hmm. What'd you think? I'm dang impressed that they got this episode together in snippets while filming other things. And we're able to tell this, um, to tell this story. Now, this is 
a ship in a bottle on a ship in a bottle. Um, this episode is is very it, it, of all the episodes that that could have been shot in this way, it absolutely was this one. Um, because of the nature of the storytelling, because it was uh, so often just one person in shot or two, um, uh, because the pacing of it was slow enough that editing could be used to really just create whatever kind of rhythm you wanted with that particular scene. So, you know, so I can imagine if, um, if the, if on the day of shooting, you had a minute to do some of the stuff, so you go over to the other set of the Prometheus, you get everything set up, you, you shoot for an hour and the, uh, you know, and, and timing is off. Um, you can probably get that timing back on with just editing. Um, because that's the sort of the nature of the story it was it was definitely slow but it wasn't i didn't think it was like overly slow um like i said i thought it was contemplative and the story that was explored i thought was excellent um i had a big grumbly point when we got to uh uh jacob telling samantha that what she really wants is uh she really wants to to uh open herself up and fall in love. And the reason why that was a grumbling point is that, um, you know, in my personal story, I kind of jammed that narrative through in my own life to ill effect uh, on multiple occasions. And mm-hmm. uh, for me, and again, I'm just going to talk about from my own personal experience. Other people might have different experiences, but I tell you what, you know, confirmation bias is strong. But anyway, um, it was when I stopped forcing the issue that things felt a lot more fluid or it fluid in the good way in the in the like oh like it was almost i wouldn't call it effortless but there was a um there was a realization of the um emotional and i hesitate to say the word psychological because i'm not sure that's the perfect word there's something mental there we go that's good enough of the emotional and mental benefits of what the character of jacob was inferring was implying that um that being isolated is actually not good and connecting is good now he spins it into and what you really want to do is you want to smooch someone he didn't quite say it like, quite like that but you know and, and it was a touching moment but i was sitting there like yeah yeah Partly because last week I just got done saying, you know, I'm not so sure I'm seeing the Jack Sam shipping thing happening, though I think I yielded the point like I'm confident that the writers were going that way. Right. You know, because that's television. Um, But it's also possible that they were just it's also possible that they were just trying to connect uh, in an like an aromantic way that was no less profound, genuine, and real. Um, Asterisk. In no way does Brent think that that's actually what the writers were intending. That is absolutely his own read. He thinks 100% that the writers were like, you know what we need to do? We need to put some romance back in here. And not for the worse. I'm just acknowledging. Like, I thought I was seeing a moment that didn't have to be described with romance. And I thought, eh, that's pretty cool. But that was literally last week. And here I am now being like shown with with uh, evidence of the show. No, 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 no. We're talking we're talking romance here. Okay, fine. All right. Okay. Here we are. Romance. Um and 
there's a little bit of me that's a tad worried. Like I said last week, when you when you when you satiate that in your television show, then you no longer have that as a moment of tension. And um, I don't know. You know, now that I'm kind of contemplating it. I I I am. I'm feeling a lot like my six-year-old self when I would roll my eyes so hard every time we'd listen to the radio because every song was about love. And it makes me sound like a sour sport. I'm not, I I don't want to come across as like, oh God, love's, love's, love's thing. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just acknowledging like, no, you know, like there's, there's a whole lot of, um, there's a lot of room to explore relationships without having to pin it on romance. Now that said, SG1 doesn't have any romantic connections currently at all across any of the characters. Right. And so, well, that's not true. Teal'c and um, uh, um, uh, uh, DePaul have something going on right now. But <laughs> uh, Yeah, her. Um, but... Uh, but even that one felt that one felt right back then. I was like, ah, okay, I guess. I mean, sure. Smoochy, smoochy in the gate room. Let's give him a room. You don't have to, not this whole room, you guys. Um, but uh, at least let us lower the blast doors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is that's a good oh. joke on a lot of different terrible levels. Oh, I like that joke. Um, <laughs> oh sorry. boy. Uh, um, so, okay, fine. So SG one wants to take it and we want to start to light that match one more time about the possible romance between Jack O'Neill and Samantha Carter. Okay. Um, rant over, right? So I'm willing to kind of get off my high horse on that one. I don't, I don't need to be here like me. You can't, you can't love each other. I need to see a, a, a solid, well-represented friendship between a man and a woman of, of, of dating age that doesn't immediately have to revolve around romance. I mean, I'd like that, but yeah, it's fine. Okay, fine. Here we go. Um, uh, speaking of, uh, was it listener um, Lydia Ann? Is that right, Zach? Who emailed, and she's catching up, and she highlighted how in the episode- Yes, it was Lydia Ann. Yeah, uh, where um uh lifeboat um where uh Fraser gets pretty engaged with um helping Jackson mm-hmm. and in Lydia Ann's highlighting of that I th- I was taking it to mean I was talking taking it to imply that maybe there, there's something more than just friendship and or professional interest and I'm like oh huh yeah that's a, that's an interesting read. That's that's kind of an interesting read. So you know, I mean, that's there, there's there's connections, there's possibilities in through here. Anyway, so I'm sorry, I'm I'm I don't even know where I am with my whole point. The, I guess my real sort of major element of it is that that point of the story when uh, the figment of Samantha Carter's imagination that is her father shows up and says, "You know what you need to do? You kind of need to be honest with yourself. How about you have a connection and not try to be you know Captain Loner all the time?" And she breaks down. I was a little bit like, mm, I mean, you don't need to, Sam, but maybe Sam does need to, right? And I, I that I hope that distinction is clear, as in, it is not a panacea, but it might be what Sam needs, right? 
And so, so let's just, just say, have let me, it be let me toss something in here real quick here on that. So I think that one of the things that we all need as humans, this is sort of baked into our DNA, is uh, love. And by love, I'm not talking explicitly about sexual love um, or, or even necessarily the love that one finds within a, um, for lack of a better term, marital relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the love that says, I am a human being and you care about me as a human being because you do. And that um, that I have a special place in your world, and that somewhere along somewhere in your world that you know I'm revolving around you and you are revolving around me. Uh, these are ideas and concepts within love that typically in writing and in TV and in movies, we experience almost exclusively within the romantic qualities of uh, potential uh, of courtship. Mm-hmm. Um, and while we do not need courtship specifically, you know, and the results therein for that, those feelings of love are things that we as humans need. Um, and if we take it in this regard, uh, we have Sam, who's like, I am not experiencing this need. And now I need to be honest with myself that I'm not. And the reason I'm not is because I am not opening myself up to the possibility. Yeah. I'm coming at it. um, I'm coming at it like I do. Where I am thinking about asking a science fiction television show written by people who are really good at writing television shows that are popular to be supremely good philosophers at the same time. (laughs) And that's silly where I'm coming in going, yeah, but um, how about you drop the assumption that what a person needs is Eros and what they really could uh, be satisfied with is a type of philia that is beyond what Americans typically think of as friendly or brotherly love, right? We, here we go. Here's my soapbox. Hang on. Okay, let me get up on here. One of the things about a Western culture that drives me absolutely crazy is that we think that there are certain types of affection that must be reserved only for the person that you want to sleep with. And that is so far from the truth that it drives me batty. Now, when the entire society is expecting that rule set, you're kind of stuck. But the kinds of Uh, um, connections and affections that you can have for individuals go way beyond what those rule sets are. But how how on earth am I supposed to expect that out of a popular television show? Um, So when I was getting a little bit uh, enamored, (laughs) see what I did there, Zach? Um, I see it. um, With uh, uh, the connection between Sam and Jack in last week's episode, those two moments that were explicitly put on tape for a reason, not on tape, on film, but you know what I'm saying? They were, they, they were shown for a reason. And while the writers intended for those two characters to share a look and for the audience to go, oh, 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 is there a spark again? And while 99.99% of the audience went, oh, 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 is there a spark again? And while 
99% of them felt happy about that. I'm in that 0.000001% who was all like, hey, cool. Man, I really hope that they just go ahead and explore what it's like to be professional colleagues and friends who actually care for each other almost to the point where other people are like, hey, are you two a thing? And them to go, oh, no. I just really like this person. And they're like, yeah, but you know, when you really like a person, you know what you do. Wink, wink. And for them to go like, you, you help them out every time they ask, even if it's 2 a.m. in the morning and they're stuck 50 miles away on a freeway with this flat tire. Yeah, that's what you do. And they're like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Nudge, nudge. I mean, uh, no. How about like, you know, you, you are there for them when they're like sick for three weeks or something and you're literally taking care of their affairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you only do that with people that you wink, wink. Oh, I mean, no, you can do that with a whole lot of other people and you can have, right? So I'm over here in the 0.00001% over there. So I'm going to bring myself back, get off my soapbox. <clears throat> okay, there we go. Thanks for thanks for coming with me on that ride there, Zach. I appreciate absolutely, it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, you know, to, to uh, you know, at the risk of making it slightly uncomfortable and, hi- and hyper-personal, like, Zach, I think you and I have a kind of connection that is beyond what has been typical of what American dudes should think about their friends. And I don't mean anything beyond like, yeah, if you were to call me at three o'clock in the morning and you're 50 miles away with a flat tire, I'd get my ass out of bed and I'd get in the car and I'd go over there and I'd help you. Like, I don't do that for many, right? You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the kind of friendship that I'm talking about, right? I've got another friend of mine who the exact same situation. I don't have very many people like that and that's okay. I don't want very many people like that. My God. But, and I have tons of acquaintances, but if they called me up and I'd be like, Brent, I've got a, at three o'clock in the morning. I've got a flat tire. I'm 50 miles away. What should I do? I'd say probably should call AAA. They'll help. <laughs> I hope you get out of it. Let me know when you're home safe. Okay. Good night. Like, and I don't think that's wrong, right? Like there's just different levels. And, sure. and, and so that's kind of what I'm driving at here. Like it's, it's possible for, for two people of opposite sexes to be doing that too. But anyway, doopy doopy doo. That's so, not what we have here. I have a couple of comments to this. Sure. One. Um, I agree that U.S. culture in particular, Western culture in general, possibly global culture, I I don't know enough, but definitely Western culture, uh, has this assumption that um, our emotional and relational needs should be um, uh, taken care of by Mm. a singular Mm. individual. Mm-hmm. And that whoever my partner is needs to be the one uh-huh. that fits this need and that 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 need. And if I have any of those that isn't met by that person, then somehow something is wrong with me. That's yeah. what we assume. And what you are saying, and I agree with you, is that that is an unhealthy way of doing oh, things. Yeah. Uh, I think that that... That is the single biggest reason, possibly, that uh, the divorce rate in this country is the way it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because we constantly try to assume that this one person is going to solve all of, or not solve, but but to um, be in the role of all of these emotional needs that I have. Yeah. And if they fail to meet any of those needs or they fail to meet all of those needs, we somehow think that the relationship is deficient. And 
The flip, I think, is just as toxic, where a person has an expectation that they should be the one who fulfills all of their partner's needs in all respects. That's true, too. Yep, absolutely. Um, uh, That's a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, in that regard, is this episode suggesting that that's what Sam needs? Right. I think that you are probably reading more into that because you, uh, than than is already there. Uh, I know how the show continues and how this mm-hmm. relationship develops. Mm-hmm. And I find it fascinating to hear how you are right now. Mm. Um, yeah. And yeah, I yeah. will not say anymore. And we'll of just course. have to wait for the series to progress for you to hear more about it. And you, dear listener, who has um, uh, watched the entire series at the, up to this point uh, and beyond... Uh, kind of understand, uh, possibly, maybe, I don't want to uh, make you assumptions, but uh, you certainly can hear what Brent is saying and know what actually happens, and you can mesh those uh, to your oh, heart's yeah. desire. I'm looking forward to that. Like, I do trust the show. I, I think that there was room for something cool. I recognize I'm in the minority with that. I don't know, maybe there is still room for something cool. Who knows? Who so knows? I will I, say I'm this, expecting- Brent. Yeah. That as sh- surely as there are shippers who are all about, <laughs> you know, sending uh, O'Neill and Carter down the aisle and getting them to, you know, mm-hmm, all over the place, right? As yeah. surely as there are people who are like that, there are actually those who, like you, well, you know, at least potentially like you, mm-hmm. um, are content with where it is or is perfectly fine or even not wanting at all that relationship with these people so it's not like all stargate fans or nearly all stargate fans are shippers um oh totally no yeah yeah i think i'm vocalizing it because that well okay the rules of our project is that i react more or less in the moment right and when that moment hit i was hearing echoes of what i think is something that can be easily misinterpreted and we just you and I just literally just said it just about five minutes ago easily misinterpreted and is pervasive in our culture which is you know what you need you know what you need Sam you know what you need you need what everybody needs you need to settle down and have a family quit it with this Air Force stuff I mean you've had fun right you've been also but what you really really need you need a man. And no, she doesn't. Now, I'm confident that the writers did not intend to say that message, right? They intended to say the message of, hey, Samantha Carter, the individual person who is at this spot in her life, do you know what you need? You need to be honest with yourself that you are being a bit isolationist because you're trying to protect yourself from pain. How about you let that go and grow? I was about to say grow a little. That's a little That's a little abrasive, but I mean it Boy, I mean it in the po- as positive a way as I can think about it. And why don't you grow because you've given yourself room and light to do it? Well, keep in mind also that in this moment, this whole thing is Sam talking to herself. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, yes. So this, this isn't 100%. a conversation that Jack O'Neill is having with Sam. This is a conversation that Sam is having with herself. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that some of it revolves around her feelings toward yeah. uh, Jack O'Neill. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I appreciate about this episode uh, in this is that here we have a character who is um, being explicitly self-reflective. 
Yes. This is an episode, and it's really hard to do this on uh, on television and in movies um, because we don't get inside somebody's head uh, very often in that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is an episode where we actually do that. Um, and, and so in that regard, I, if I'm honest with myself, there have been many times in my life when I have looked at things and I'm like, Zach, what the bleep are you doing? <laughs> uh, you know, should you bleeping be doing the bleeping, bleeping, bleeping? Uh, I, I don't know. I just, you know, should, should, should I be where I am yeah. or should I be doing something completely different? Am I happy with I, where I am? Am I content? Am I, you know, and on a personal note, I think it is healthy for humans to ask those questions about yourself, even if you don't have answers to those questions. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and I would be, I, I am hopeful that there are far more of you out there that ask yourself these questions in a very serious, very raw, very real way mm-hmm. than those who don't. Uh, and, you know, if I'm going to get onto my soapbox, mm-hmm. <laughs> dear listeners, <laughs> spend the time needed to reflect on your life and what is going on, because it is healthy to do so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, <laughs> not my soapbox there. I love that trope. <laughs> um. There you go. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on this episode? Um, I do. Um, I'll keep it real brief. I'll pitch it to you right fast. Uh, okay. Thank you for giving me this segue to talk about how much I loved the aspect of the actors portraying different parts of Sam's psyche and how those actors chose to portray their roles in ways that were a bit exaggerated in some ways. I thought it was very interesting that in Samantha Carter's mind, Teal'c, an exaggerated Teal'c is is caring and defensive, like fiercely defensive, which is good, but like intense. Yeah. Um, uh, I thought it was really interesting that the inquisitive nature of Samantha Carter's mind manifested by Daniel Jackson was like almost manic. I mean, <laughs> so fast, so intense. Um, it was really interesting. And, and the, and the affectionate side of, of Sam's psyche manifested by Jack O'Neill. Boy, was he just as comfortable as you could possibly imagine. Just just smooth and cool and calming. I thought that was really I thought it was extremely interesting how those actors portrayed their parts in those in that in those elements. I thought it was brilliant. It was mm, choice. Okay. Um that that uh good bravo with all the bits and bobs. Um story was story actually story was great uh b story of get out of the cloud was fine um a story of samantha reflecting on herself was amazing uh okay what about you zach what do you think so um a thank you for this wonderful conversation it it has Mm -hmm. helped me appreciate this episode in more ways uh b uh this is an episode for me that uh I have kind of complicated feelings on it overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, the acting is superb. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is top notch from Sam Carter, you know, from Amanda Tapping down the list. 
everybody mm-hmm. in this acts the crap out of it, and it does a great mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as I mentioned in in the trivia, right? This is an episode that's an awful lot like that episode, and an awful lot like that episode, and mm-hmm. an awful lot like that episode. And so, bottom line, this is an episode where one person is stuck all alone, and she gets bonked on their head, and she has to think about things and wrestle with all of this stuff and try to save the day all by herself before she goes mad. Uh, and and this one's just done in the Stargate world. Yeah. Um, and frankly, this is not done, in my opinion, in a way that makes it feel special. Oh, yeah. Okay. It, it, uh, yeah. This, mm-hmm. this is the, uh, you know, I mean, this plot line is the same plot line as four different shows that I mentioned yeah. before in different yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, there is nothing uh, special about this plot line uh, at all. And while the acting is wonderful and, you know, the exploration of Carter is great and all of that stuff, it's still this plot line. Mm -hmm. And I find that plot line boring, not because it's a bad plot line, but because it has been done so many darn times. Yeah. And so I just get to this episode and I'm like, ah, you know. Uh, Now, I will say again. Thank you for your thoughts and your experiences and your 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 reflections and mm-hmm. reactions, um, because that helps me to see new things in this. So I appreciate that. Um, but you know, this this episode does just two things. It one gets the Prometheus back to Earth, which is good. We didn't want the Prometheus stuck on the other side of the galaxy <laughs> for forever. <laughs> yes, that's good. It does two. Uh, the other thing it does is it invites us to reflect on Sam Carter and her uh, relationship, uh, however we mean by that, uh, with O'Neill and her uh, teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that's it. That's what this episode does. Yeah, 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 yes. Um, you know it. I, I guess technically it introduces one question: Who the heck was that alien ship? It does. Spoiler, we will oh. never find out. Oh, God. Okay. Ooh. Good Good spoiler. I appreciate it. Thank you. Ow. So this is why, you know, like- I mentioned the, the, the short story and all of that stuff. In, in some of the external stuff around here, uh, people ask that question. Um, and if I recall correctly from some of the stuff that I was reading uh, in earlier drafts of this story, um, the the nature of those aliens plays a more explicit uh, role. Um, and as they go through draft after draft after draft, uh, the story that they ended up telling was the story about Sam. Yeah. And the aliens become uh, so secondary that they just become another trope. Um, also, here's another thing with this plot line that bugs the snot out of me mm-hmm. is is that um okay you know the fact that you stop someone and you big big giant ship that starts shooting at you okay you know i mean that can happen right you know you, you there the, there are people who if you walk on their lawn are actually angry enough that they will chase you off their lawn with guns with guns right that does happen uh so that's not like it's outside of bounds um, and you might not ever learn anything more about that person other than that. 
But yes. we go from, hey, look, all the escape pods have been launched to clearly the alien is both stuck in this nebula and has taken all of our crew members. Oh, yeah. Without any explanation or without any process that even begins to suggest why you think that is true. Yep. It I'll does. put an asterisk. I, I'm, a, just, I'm just thinking here. Like, Carter goes there and she's like, okay, guys, give me my crew members back and I'll let you go. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, what if they hadn't actually taken the crew members? What if all the crew members are literally stuck in escape pods floating around this nebula somewhere or out of the nebula? Who knows? Right. What do they do? I mean, it just things like that bug, the, bug me. Oh, yeah. I want to stick a pin in it that I will get into with my ratings, but I hear you. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I am noticing uh, more so on this time is that Damien Kindler writes tropey tropes. Oh, yeah. Damien Kindler um, does occasionally, like in this episode, fall into some really good uh, exploration of character. Mm-hmm. But he also is a guy that has things happen because we need them to happen so that we can move the story along. Yeah. Hmm. Do we have any real reason why this happened? Nope. But we need it to move it on, and we're just going to make the assumption that it happens. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, okay. I mean, you know, I, I I get it. You have 42 minutes to tell a story, and sometimes you got a you know 52 minute story you got to tell, and so you got to cut some corners. I get it. I get it. But uh, hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> that says it all. There you go. <laughs> so uh, I think those are my thoughts. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. Anything else you got to say, or shall we move into our predictions? I think we should move on to our predictions for sake of time, for sure. Oh, sure. We. Oh, gosh, we have been talking a while. But, um, and I don't really have anything new to say. Yeah, no, we're good. Uh, I think I'm going to end up saying some more fun things when we get into our predictions, though. All right. Well, mm-hmm. then Teaser. this is when Spoiler. I say, Brent, <laughs> Yeah. how many chevrons do you give Grace? Oh, my goodness, listeners. You had to wait so long to get these next juicy thoughts. Um, so my, as I mentioned, the general rule that I try to stick to is that I give my chevrons based on how I felt immediately after watching the episode. And sometimes conversations push them up and push them down, et cetera. Uh, which is definitely true, and I'm give, I give myself license to do that. But this is one of those episodes where I'm going to go with rating it pretty much based off of how I felt right after watching it. And I think it's going to come as a bit of a shock. It's a 7 out of 7 for me. Now, the reason why it's so dang high is because I think I could absolutely rewatch this episode a decent number of times and get something new out of it because of the performances and... My own dang headcanon, right? I think I could probably pour more meaning into the art that happened here to my own delight that maybe <laughs> wasn't intended. Right. You know, so meaning I think this is I think I would really enjoy rewatching this episode a number of times because it's a character study, right? And I, I like that. And then contemplating on the questions that are being asked and imagining questions being asked that were implied maybe with the script accidentally and pondering those questions. So I really did enjoy it. And then the pin, I'm going to unstick out of the ship thing, 
Um, boy, oh boy, am I disappointed to learn that we're never going to learn about that ship. That's immediately knocking down the chevroniness of this episode, but I'm sticking with my rating um, because it was right after I got done watching it. I was intrigued. Uh, there's ample room for next week's episode to talk about that dang ship and those aliens. Why not? But for the fact that you know, and I don't, that we're never seeing them again, which is really frustrating. Who are they? Why do they fire? Like, uh, anyway. Um, but I re- even the part where I was knocking it for going in a direction that I thought was too predictable and a little bit misleading about life. Man, I really enjoyed watching this one. And again, I think I could watch this one a number of times and get more out of it in different ways. Um, seven out of seven for me. Hmm. I know you're going to think differently. I that's am fine. not going to give it seven chevrons. So I'll tell you how that many one chevrons right now. will you give it? Um, I am debating. Um, you know, like you, I, I do tend to have a number that is in my head. Um, it, it's not always a crystallized number, uh, but it just kind of sits there, kind of in the emotional quality of things. And then mm-hmm. we have a conversation, and sometimes the conversation, um, really, um occasionally it knocks it down a few pegs, but more often than not, we have a good conversation, and when it does anything, it moves it up a little bit. Sure. And, you know, this has been a good conversation, and it has helped me to uh, reflect on some of these things in this episode that we talked about and all that stuff. So I'm trying to decide if I want to go with kind of where I started off or whether I want to give it a little goose based on our conversation. And I think... I'm going to just not give it that goose. I'm going to give this just a four. <laughs> yeah. Yep. This is a four. Yeah. Um, you know, it, you know I, I, I don't skip this episode when I'm watching the series. Mm-hmm. But, eh, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate it at this time more perhaps than others I have seen it. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is just a four. That's all I got to say. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I said to myself, so we're about ready to go over to what other people thought we were going to give this episode. Yes. And that means I'm going to go over to the Twitters. Yes. But I did a funny yesterday because it was April Fool's. Okay. And I hope that nobody replicated what I did, but I'm about to find out. I'm not going to tell you what I did. You got to go and find out for yourself. You, you mean I have to go to Twitter? I mean, <sighs> you can if you want. Okay. Oh, good. Thank goodness. We have only one reply. I'll give you one guess as to who it's from. It's from Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. He says, hi, Brent. Hi, Zach. <laughs> this episode usually isn't a fan favorite, but I actually enjoy this. Speaking of fan favorites, what would the opposite of one be? An unfavorite? A non-favorite? A disfavorite, perhaps? You might wonder why I'm bringing this up. I would tell you, but I'm running. Oh, thanks, Kevin. Thanks for your thoughts. He ran out of characters. Oh, 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 poor Kevin. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't I don't think I still have it. Um, I used to have a Twitter profile, whatever. And I totally would. I I made what I think is the funniest Twitter joke on planet Earth when in the description you also for yourself, you couldn't you could only have 140 characters because that was its thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I wrote about how 140 characters is simply an inadequate amount of space to describe describe such a, and then I started listing adjectives for myself. And they were all positive, of course, and then I ran out of room. Ah, well, well, there you go. That's right, because you can't. Thank you, Kevin. 
Thank you. Um, all right. Uh, so now I have to go to the, the Facebooks. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was moving in that direction. Um, but then you told me I had to go to Facebook to, or to you can Twitter. You go to Twitter later. Uh, I, I went to Twitter. I saw what you did and I appreciate yeah. it. It's funny. I thought it was funny. Uh, it's yeah, simple. No. I've never seen anybody do a, a, a April Fool's thing like that before. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, I said, um, you know, David said I shouldn't post this. So, so David sends us a text every Friday and says, don't forget to do the things. Yes. And this time he sent us a text that says, don't do the things. And I'm like, so, well, David said I shouldn't post this, but I did. And so I only ask for a little grace as I break the rules. Oh, oh, Grace, I see what you did there. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Um, and then I ask for thoughts and predictions and whatnots, emphasizing the whatnots. So we'll see what we get for whatnots. Oh, the whatnots. Uh, we begin with Jen. Hi, Jen. Hi, Jen. Oh, this will be a first time rating an episode for me. Oh, yeah. I so was about I, to. I, I was like, I don't think I have you, heard. For, yeah. Jen, welcome, Jen, Jen. Jen talks on, on Discord all the time. That's like, that's true. Okay. That's right. Welcome, Jen. Thank you very much for that. She gives us a smiley face. Nice. This is a Sam-heavy episode, which is something I immensely enjoy. Yet I am sometimes frustrated that she gets underused in many of those episodes. Mm -hmm. Amanda did a terribly good job to make Sam a relatable character in general and fought heavily for her character and often against opinions of producers and or directors. Mm -hmm. Despite Sam being my favorite character, some of her uh, centric episodes just leave me with a meh feeling. Example, mm -hmm. Space Race mm -hmm. and also a storyline that will come up in the future. Mm -hmm. However, I kind of liked Grace. It's not among the most popular episodes for many fans, yet I like what it did in terms of character development, mm -hmm. and you get a real insight of Sam's character. Through her hallucinations, you can see what she thinks of herself, doubting herself and her worth as a person and in relation to others. This made her real to me, and this is also the focal point for the whole story for me. I don't care much at all for that alien creature or all the little and not so little plot holes. They are yeah. only the framework for what I find is really the intriguing part for this episode. Sam's struggle with herself and her belief system about herself. Mm. You could also call her queen of gaslighting herself. Ooh. Woof. <laughs> well, uh, that's a juicy one. <laughs> I might have to rewatch the episode with that framework. Ooh. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, okay. So, uh, as for chevrons, I find rating this episode very tough. For me, I'd say five chevrons for the episode outside of mm -hmm. that framework. Uh, for Zach and Brent, I don't know. Either Brent is also intrigued about the core theme or he is bored. Oh, in yeah. retrospect, he's always been harsher on Sam's episodes than he is on any of the other cast. Zach doesn't mm. like it that much, doesn't like it that much either because of the obvious flaws in the story outlining the core question. I'd say a four from Brent. Yeah. And a four and a half from Zach. Very close. Well done. Three from Brent if he didn't like his breakfast. Uh, that's a good point. No, yeah. So, um, I think I, 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 I believe that I remain frustrated that when we turn our gaze towards Samantha Carter, we're always doing it in these, these, these episodes, which 
it's like, oh, and also Sam, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I don't like that. So that contributes to the negativity part about it, but it's more because of like, give this, like, this character's awesome. Like, why do I have to have character development in these, oh, and also Sam moments? Um, like, and it's not true. I'm oversimplifying it tremendously, but, but I like this one. Yeah. I had a good time with this one. Um, we do have a Facebook post from Rowan. Hi, Rowan. Rowan says, This time on Gate Trek, a mysterious alien ship leaves Carter <laughs> stranded, alone, and injured on the Prometheus with nothing but hallucinations of her teammates, dad, and a creepy little girl for company. She must tech the tech as fast as she can to save herself and the rest of the Prometheus crew while exploring her own subconscious, while, which tells her she needs a man and a baby. Ooh, That's ooh, what we're meant ooh. to take away from this, right? Mm. Come on, Stargate. Don't sink my ship. I don't care if Teal'c is 140 O'Neill's. O'Neill <laughs> is forever. <laughs> <laughs> O'Neill. Nice. O'Neill. Uh, I like that one. This but, is uh, a... Yeah. Teal'c yeah. and Jackson. That's, that's where it's at. But anyway, carry on. Yeah, okay. Uh, Rowan continues. This is a familiar sci-fi trope, but the way it is employed here feels somewhat jarring. Let's say a four from Brent and a four and a half from Zach. Mm. This episode was an IMDb ranking of 7.2, which is three chevrons, putting it in the bottom 25% of Stargate episodes overall. Notably, female viewers have rated this episode two full chevrons higher than male viewers, Uh, which is the biggest difference of opinion for any live-action Stargate episode. Wow. You know what? I'm going to go on a limb here. Right. Here we go. Here we go. Right. Y'all are going to get hot take. Super hot take with no basis of evidence. I'm just going to do it. Here we go. These are the best. I wonder if that disparity exists not because... Hey ladies, all you need is a man. Although that one, that one, like what was it about a three quarter of a second scene of those two smooching? No, yeah, that was, something that like was that. pretty smoking hot. Um, but, uh, like, I wonder if women were seeing a character uh, and a story that was resonating. Like, you have all these things that are constantly being said you have to do or not do or you should do more of or not do much of or if you do this too much, you're going to get cancer. But if you do too little of it, you're going to look like a whale. So you better have all these things together. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> oops, you screwed it up. And that this episode kind of skips off the surface of a lot of those themes. Now, it does it in a way that makes it plausible. We're talking about Sam, not everybody else. You know, there's a whole lot in there. But like... It's an introspective story about a person who's a woman struggling with a lot of things, and it kind of walks it through that whole thing. Now, it's got its problems, and it's got its stuff, and it makes it steps over there, and you need a man and a baby. And I, yeah, I hear you, and I right, and I have my I already said my opinions, but I wonder if that's why, where ladies are like, hmm, I know that feeling, and dudes are like, not enough explosions. That was an oversimplification. That was that was I, brutal. <laughs> that, that last part was not the best either. <laughs> okay, hot takeover. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I don't have anything to say. I'm going to move on. We have one more from Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Kevin says hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. Man, the Prometheus can't catch a break, even no, on can't. the previously on section. 
But it's nice to see that the Prometheus finally has a working hyperdrive, sort of, uh, thanks to the Alcash <laughs> O'Neill and Teal got at the end of Avenger 2.0. Uh, but I think this is the first time I put that together. And expecting fans to remember that episode, especially since you've already had your mid-season finale, seems a bit of a stretch. Fair yeah, that's enough. fair. Anyway, as I was alluding to on Twitter, this episode isn't the birth of, but I guess you could say is the conception of a character we will see in the future. One that is not necessarily well-liked. Whatever the opposite of a fan favorite is... Oh, right. I'm supposed to predict your rating. I am so intrigued by that sentence, but carry on. Uh, This episode isn't usually high on a ranking of episodes. We'll see if Rowan agrees, but I think has some great moments for Amanda Tapping to show her acting range. So I predict that uh, that will... I predict that will boost both of your ratings and... Oh, okay. I predict that... That, you know, the, the, the Amanda Tapping stuff, will boost both of our ratings, and you'll both rate the episode a five. Ah! Yeah. You know, uh, you know, close-ish. I had, I, I, maybe it's COVID mind that made it all the way to a seven. Yeah, uh, that could nah, be. Nah, like I said, I mean, like, I, I, I it's, it's because of my own headcanon, right? You, that, but, yeah, that we never see the alien ship anymore. Ugh. Anyway, that's unfortunate. Well, it is what it is. Um... We have an email from Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. This episode is all Carter. Plot Mm -hmm. is very traditional sci-fi, seems disjointed from all the other episodes this season, Mm -hmm. and ultimately has no real impact to the meta story. Also, the related Atlantis episode uh, was a bit... uh, Okay, doesn't matter. Brent had toast with jam. <laughs> Did you have toast usually, with jam? No, I didn't. Uh, but whenever everybody, when anybody says that I had toast, they think they're going to not have a good time with this one. Well, uh, Kimberly predicts that you will give this a four out of seven chevron. Uh huh. And I will give it only three and a half Ooh. chevrons. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Very close for you, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anybody expected you to just appreciate this as much as you did. Well, but uh, yeah, I understood, but um, I appreciate it. I feel like I walked it. You know how when you walk into an art gallery and you go over to the modernist art section and you, you, you turn the corner and they've got like this 12 foot by nine foot canvas right there in the middle with a spotlight on it. And it's an entirely like white on the front half or the top half black on the bottom half and like an orange circle left of center and you go what (laughs) (laughs) why is this here Ah, my 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 dog can do no no my dog can't actually do but why why do you have that grace why is this and then you look at it for a while and you're like well maybe it's a sunrise then you look at it and go maybe it's a sunset and you go maybe it's a saucer on the edge of a table and then you go, maybe it's the head of a person down on a table. Maybe it's, and you start just going through all these things. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. But as you are connecting with it, you are accidentally doing what precisely the artist wanted for you to do. And that was to sit there and go, what is this about? And then go on this huge mental journey <laughs> about what it might be. 
<laughs> Meanwhile, an artist is sitting there with their fingers arched going, yes, yes, sit there, sit there and engage with the canvas. Right. So I feel like I've engaged with the canvas. What what did I just see? Oh, I totally saw a dumb, tropey thing that's exactly like four other episodes where you've got the main character doing an intellectual deep dive on their own psyche, manifested by these other characters that are actually pieces of their own psychology, et cetera, et cetera. And how do they get out? Uh, I don't know. That's almost accidental. Right? It's, you're right. It is a very simple canvas. But I'm sitting here going, but maybe it's, maybe it's an orange on a hillside. Right? So... <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Uh, we have a couple more emails. Mm-hmm. One from Lydia Ann. Hey, Lydia Ann. Uh, Lydia Ann says, Major Samantha Carter travels through the Stargate, repairs the Prometheus, and catches a ride back to Earth on that ship with bonus stop to see a cool nebula. But wait, there's more. Aliens attack. The crew leaves the ship. Injured Sam is left behind on the ship, which is now stuck in ship-corroding nebula. Sam, despite suffering the effects of a severe concussion, saves herself, the ship, the rest of the crew, and the alien ship. Major heroic feats, but at the end of the episode, she is alone and sad in the infirmary. Insert record scratch here. (laughs) Right, the hallucinations. Facets of her subconscious personified as the most trusted men in her life who state the obvious, mansplain, question her decisions, mm-hmm. gaslight, and emotionally mm-hmm. manipulate her into believing that despite all of her accomplishments in her professional and personal life, she's not happy because, let me check my notes here, she hasn't prioritized a romantic relationship with a man. What kind of patriarchal amen horse hockey is this? Mm-hmm. Angrily shreds the notes. Mmm. Mmm. Yes, I'm dancing in my chair. And yes, I bet you that she's going to give these low numbers. But the reason why I gave it a seven is because it's so juicy. Mm. Don't you love that stuff? Oh, we have more. Okay. Introducing the inaugural use of Brent's Men Who Write Poorly About Women penalty card. (laughs) I love it. Sam I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. I did not use that card, you, 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 obviously, but I really do like that card. Thank you for making that. <laughs> Sam is on the clock at her job, and in order to get the job done, she has to sort out her personal feelings first. In the real world, women who do this are labeled unprofessional and seen mm. as less competent. Men mm. generally face no such stigmatization. Mm-hmm. I would love to see more of Sam's inner life, to see her pursue a man- romantic relationship with, say, someone who isn't an alien that embodies the stalking as love trope. I oh, just yeah. want it without the surface level men talk to Sam distracting her and making her sad reading of the episode. Or the emotional uh, climax, which minimizes all of Sam's accomplishments as a professional and good friend because there's no man and possibly no baby. My take on Grace is that she is Sam's inner child who really does find happiness in her work. Grace, because because Grace is the only hallucination that is helpful to solving the problem. Mm -hmm. I am probably in the minority with this reading. That's a good reading. I like that reading. Brent gives it a five and Zach a four and a half. Amanda Tapping is excellent, the minimalist use of the Prometheus works, and technically this is a good story because Sam is under pressure and changes as a result. It's Mm -hmm. just wrapped in layers of horse hockey. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. 
Lydia. I is. like that TED talk. I like it. All right. So uh, pin the pin that I stuck in. Um. Oh shoot! I just forgot it. Uh, oh yeah yeah yeah. Or. Mm. Oh, dang it. I forgot my own pin. I did think that there was... So, I, um, it does make a bit of narrative sense as to why the characters who are talking to her are her teammates, but would have been nice to have um, Frasier in there, wouldn't it have been, right? Um, Frasier, who is such a good friend of Carter that they like... like aren't they like almost co-parenting um, Cassandra together? Isn't that there, what it was? There's a certain element that suggests that. Yeah. Uh, there, there's definitely an implication as the series progresses that Carter and Frazier hang out off hours. Yeah. And I mean, again, with the whole like, you know, I bet you somebody just went to hang out off hours and I'm like, stop, stop it. Stop it. You that just said that. Um, what was I just going on about how there is the possibility of connection that is wonderfully great. It has nothing to do with anything other than amazing connections between humans. Yeah. So Carter and Frazier clearly have such a good connection that they are like co-workers and helping with a major life thing of Frazier raising a kid. Like, where's Frazier in this episode? Now, I get it. Where's, you know, like filming and well, actually, but if they're doing it with all beach or um, second unit, then yeah, where is Frazier? I don't know. Okay. But the the juicy... Oh, I love the juicy. So I don't think I would ever give this one a seven were it not for this like interpretation, just like bonanza that I'm going on right now. But I am loving the snot out of this right now. <laughs> so here's my interpretation of your Chevron prediction, Chevron rating of seven. Yeah. Uh, your Chevron rating of seven is because this episode provides such great fodder to have these philosophical and social yeah, I think and cultural right. conversations. Yeah, and I mean, I was immediately thinking about it within the context of the episode, and I thought that the episode was doing that mo- almost, certainly the acting was doing that on purpose, right? Um, so anyway, but good, right. good read. Thank yep. you, Lydia Ann. Thank you. We have one more from uh, David. Hey, David. David says, if you don't use this Chevron encoding bias buffer, you will be spoiled about my prediction. Oh. I'll probably be the mysterious space anomaly and rate this low. Sure, another Sam Carter-centric episode is nice, but we are left with unanswered questions, plot holes, tropish nonsense, and a big eye roll, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Sure, all of Sam's hallucinations represent different aspects of her personality, and she is able to address and solve her problems by essentially talking to herself, but in the takeaways from them are Sam is a tough, independent woman who does not need a man to solve her problems, and Sam needs a boyfriend because she's incomplete. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the end, Mm -hmm. uh, the only reason this episode exists is so that next week's a plot does not come out of nowhere, or is the the B plot? I don't know. Just watch next week's and you'll understand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brent gives this four chevrons only because it's the first time he's seen it. Zach oh. gives it three and a half chevrons because it's a little more tiresome on rewatch, and because it results in uh stuff. Doopy doopy doop. Doopy 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 redacted. Doopy. Spoiler redacted. Speaking of, did you all see that uh, Joe uh, Malazzi uh, tweet from a couple of days ago? About the Stargate Redacted? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We talked I mean, about that last week. Not the one where he was like, not the first one, the next what? one. He had a second one? Uh-huh. I didn't see the second one. 
Yeah, it's it was well received. Uh, I need to go find it. How do I? And find I don't it? mean the tweet. I mean the tweet was well received too. No, the script apparently was very well received. Ah, uh, well, uh, I, I, where? How do I find the script? How, how? Not the script. How do I find the tweet? I can't tweet. Just, I don't tweet the tweets. Eh, the Twitter, Twitter. Don't worry. Hey, Zach. Guess oh. what? You don't need to go to Twitter. Joe Malazzi said that Stardate, Stargate Redacted was so was well enough. For, it was super well received. Take that with a grain of salt. Lots of things are well received. Um, apparently providing a wonderful opportunity for people who have never seen the show while also being a rich and rewarding experience for fans of the franchise. Ooh. Yes. That sounds wonderful. That sounds fantastic. Now, they just need to start producing that within That's the next, point. like, four years that, so that, that they start that, uh, well, actually, like, 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 right at, like, close to four years-ish because I want that to start, like when we get finished with everything else here so that we can just like start with that and we don't have to like try to you know you know what i'm saying oh precisement yeah all right well brent yeah those are our predictions for this week thank you everybody thank you i like that this is what go i had a good one with time with this one yeah uh brent yeah next week's episode mm-hmm. is entitled fallout Fallout. Fallout. And I ask you to tell me what Fallout is about. Um, I'm not going to try to make a video game joke because I played precisely uh, like an hour and a half of it. And I'm like, this is exactly like Skyrim. So I stopped. Um, that is like, 60 or 90 minutes more of Fallout than I have ever played. People are just screaming in there. This is nothing like Skyrim. And I'm like, look, if the mechanics are precisely the same, I immediately get bored. I just the way I am. Um, might be a great game. I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's how I'm gonna do. So Fallout, 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 Fallout. fallout. Um, okay. Uh, hmm. All right. Hmm. Huh. Where am I gonna go with this one? Um. Wow, Zach. One unintended consequence of getting sick is that I can't. I. I'm really. All right. Here we go. I'm waiting. Next. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travel through the gate to find themselves on a strange world. They walk through the world and they find themselves in a particularly peculiar glade. It's a beautiful glade. It looks a lot like the Pacific Northwest. And as the sun beams down on their particular little pool of water that they seem to have found, it shimmers in a way that is predictable. Everybody get back! Kawoosh! Oh, no. A giant kawoosh goes up through the sky. We've seen this before. That was that one episode where they had the thing on the side where they banished people through it. No, no, this is different, says Sam. It is different, says Jackson. Look at the look at the arrangement of it. It's natural formation. What? What? A stargate naturally formed on a world? Is this where the ancients got their idea? What? Hey, should we go through it? No, we shouldn't go through. We need to send through. We'd be risking our lives. What if that's the other side of the gate? There's like an iris or a force field or something. Suddenly, Teal'c is overcome with what amounts to madness as he leaps into the pool. Oh, no. With only one choice, O'Neill orders that they follow through. This makes no sense. Keep, just keep, keep running with me. I'm running. And, and, through the, and through the gate they go. And where do they end up? In a world that is so strange, it can only be described as upside down. Oh no, they're falling! Ah! Right back out through the pool they went. They fell out. Fall out. 
<laughs> Join us next time. Stargate oh, SG-1. So, Fallout. So your initial premise of yeah. a something that is somehow a naturally forming wormhole, Stargate mm-hmm. wormhole, is fascinating. And I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you also apparently fell out of the car on your way to figuring out what was going to happen next. Oh, yeah. I had no idea where I was going. I literally decided to just start talking and let my imagination kind of rumble along. And where where did I go? I didn't know I was going to have a, 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 a wormhole pool until I got there. Well, there you go. Uh, and then, uh, that's, then that's where we landed. All right. Well, shall we... Um, Watch the promo and find out more precisely what Fallout is all about. Yes. All right. I am hitting play now. Next time on Stargate SG-1. Hey, it's a pool. I'll wait till break. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you too, sir. I only wish it was under better circumstances. (gasps) What? We need to talk. Oh, no. Are you saying that at this very moment, there are deposits of Naphita on your planet that are being Oh. Disaster looms for Jonas Quinn's home planet. And desperate oh, no. times call for desperate measures. According to the latest geological data, there's a minor fault line crossing the vein of Naquita, about a kilometer above the large deposit. We can offer you limited relocation through the Stargate. Limited? A full evacuation of an industrialized world is a practical impossibility. If we could somehow trigger a move along the fault, we could isolate the advancing Requadrium, break off the chain reaction before it gets any deeper. Hmm. And how do we do that? We set off a large explosion near the fault. It's C4. all next time on Star Wars. C4. Holy cow, that's a rocket ship's full of C4. There's well, no way that there's, there's no way that's going to create any kind of, I don't know, dust of a highly radioactive element. That would then completely surround the planet and... Co- oh, boy. Is that where we're going with that? Oh, Fallout. Okay. But we get to see Jonas! We do get to see Jonas, and he has got the most boy band of boy band haircuts in this episode. Hey, you know what? Somebody came across... Um, somebody came across their, like, older siblings yearbook from, like, 2012, and they were laughing at all the haircuts, and I'm like, oh, wow. That wasn't that long ago. And they all no. basically looked a little like that, and that was a full 10 years prior to that. So Jonas is actually ahead of the game. Uh sure yeah sure. he's the trendsetter all right well that is next week's episode fallout I'm excited to see jonas again yeah yeah all right cool i want to give special thanks to david for putting together those yeah, promos you, they're awesome as always and uh tell us what you think about this episode this episode mm-hmm. has a lot of things to talk about uh, a lot of people having lots of different thoughts so please email us at walking through the stargate at gmail.com to let us know follow us on twitter at stargate walking walking go to the facebook go to the discord go to the website go to all of those things if you feel like it go to patreon and support the podcast there as well and yep. with all of that i say i'm zach and i'm brent and this has been walking through the stargate see you next time Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.